Hi church, good to see you today. Wow, we're a packed house today. Easter's coming, awesome. So glad that you're here. Hey, um, before I get rolling here, I just want to um, talk a little bit about uh, Tuesday night, um, Pastor James and I are doing a class called Rooted. And Rooted is the um, uh, Thrive, all things Thrive, kind of get to know us um, so that we can get to know you. Um, sort of the history of Thrive Church, the Church of God, which we're a part of, um, kind of what we believe and how we operate. If you're new to Thrive, that is a great opportunity for you to come and hang out with us. I'm pretty sure there's going to be snacks, so um, that should entice you a little bit. Uh, but if you have any questions about the Rooted class, it's Tuesday night, 6.30, right, at the Thrive Space, which is the corner of 81st and Aspen. And uh, you can talk to Pastor James back there or me after service. We'd be delighted to tell you a little bit more about that. But um, you'll need to register online so we know how many snacks to get because that's kind of important. And um, we can hook you up with how to do that. So um, by all means, uh, check in with us afterwards. Or I think it's in the newsletter, if I remember right. You can, you can go there um, and uh, register online there. So keep that in mind. Tuesday coming up. Should be exciting. All right. Um, we're finishing up our uh, series called on um, Parables. And uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we did... <clears throat> A series where we looked at the entire storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And now we've kind of shifted gears and we're talking about the, these little stories that Jesus would tell. And um, there's a theme there. It's stories. So we're, uh, we've been talking about the various stories that we find in the Bible and hopefully offering, shedding some new light on, on some of these ones that some of us kind of grew up with, uh, especially if you grew up in the church and in Sunday school, you probably heard a lot of these. Um, but we kind of want to cast them, not necessarily in new light, but rather in kind of a contextual light so that we understand really what the authors are saying. And just to kind of remind us, when, whenever I open up this book, there's a couple of things that I assume. Um, one of the things that I assume is that I'm a tourist, that there are customs that are presented here that I don't necessarily understand because I grew up in 21st century America. And this is, you know, at least in the New Testament, first century kind of Israel Mediterranean world. And therefore, there's some differences there. So one of the things that we want to do to fully understand this better is to have some idea of the, of the historical context, but also the literary context because these authors are sophisticated and they're trying to communicate something to us. So we're, we're trying to pick that apart a little bit. So I'm going to um, uh, finish this up. Um, and what I found really interesting is, uh, I wrote this in my notes and I forgot. What, what I'm finding interesting is that, that the, this idea of parables, these little stories to illustrate things, is, is making a resurgence in business literature for whatever reason. So those of you who are um, in companies and you're often reading books, there's several authors now that are actually trying to communicate things through stories. And then like the last third of the book has got more, more to do with the actual techniques that they're talking about. Some of you nodding your heads, you, you, you've seen this. So parables are a really powerful way of communicating some truths. So last week, um, what I tried to do is open up the lens a little bit and zoom out and look at Mark chapter 4, which there's four different parables there, but they're all related. And sometimes I think what happens is we, we try to put things under the microscope and we, we get so deep that we miss the entire forest because we're looking at the tree. 
Does that make sense? And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to zoom out a little bit so that we can see this broader story that I think these various authors of, the, of these biographies of Jesus are trying to tell us. So what we want to do is we want to look at these parables in context, but also in concert with one another. And uh, um, the uh, place that I want to go today is actually in Luke chapter 15. And uh, I want you to see this. I put up a little graphic here so that you can kind of see in Luke 15, there are three different parables. One of the lost sheep, one of the lost coin, and this one we call the prodigal son. Now, most of us are very familiar with the prodigal son. Why? Because it gets repeated often. And um, there's a great flannel graph for it. I'm pretty sure. I've seen that. So... Um, so we have these three different parables, but what I want to suggest to you is they're all related. And what we want to do is zoom out again and take a look at each one, but then see how they're, how they're related, how they build kind of on one another. And so I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15 so that we can take a look at this. Luke chapter 15. But before we, we kind of begin on this journey, there's a little bit of context here that I think is important, and we find it in verse 1 and 2. Here it is. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is a fascinating statement. I think it was Andy Stanley who pointed this out once. He said, people who were unlike Jesus actually liked Jesus. Isn't that cool? Uh, and he's got a way of, you know, kind of turning a phrase. And I thought that was an excellent way of, of saying that, is that people who were unlike him actually liked him. And so here we have tax collectors who basically were traitors to the, the people of, of Israel. At least that's how they uh, were perceived. And sinners, which is a catch-all phrase for pretty much anybody who was doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But look at the other part of this. But the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, these are the local church pastors. <clears throat> and the teachers of the law muttered, love that word, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're muttering. Can you imagine this? This happens. Right? Well, I can't believe that. Right, 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 right. Some of you grew up in small towns and you, you've probably experienced that firsthand in some way, shape, or form, I would imagine. But there's muttering that's going out around. But the Pharisees muttered, and the teachers of the law muttered. So, now, here's what happens next. Let me, let me kind of read through this. Uh, I'm going to do kind of a combination of reading, and you'll see some of the stuff on, on screen. So, here's what happens. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. So remember, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Pharisees are interested too. They're there, but they feel like they're the in crowd, and the rest of these people ought to be, you know, behind a barrier or something. And Jesus answers them with a parable. Um, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right? This story, sheep. Now, sheep is valuable. Why? Because it gives wool, it gives food, right? So, if you look in the Old Testament, one of the ways that a person is, uh, how their wealth is evaluated is by the number of sheep that they have. So it is a unit of wealth. Keep that in mind. This is a shepherding nation with a long history of shepherding, all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you measure wealth in sheep. So he uses that. Now, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting little story. But what's, the, what's kind of the focus of this story? It's rejoice. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. So, Pharisees, I want you to understand this. Okay, I get the fact that they're sinners, but what are we doing with them? That's the question. He's poking around at this. There's rejoicing when they come to know the Father, when they come back in right relationship with God, when the lost is found. Important. But then he goes on and he continues. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, we've got this similar kind of an idea of something's lost that's found, and what's the response? Rejoicing. There's a certain amount of joy to this. And I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. So it's not just like, yay, but it's like, woo, you know, big crowds going crazy, the wave happening, whatever, you know, picture in your own mind. But the point is, is that there's something that's going on here when the lost is found. So it's powerful when we see the lost is found and that something is going on in heaven. And see, in the Pharisees' minds, and I think this is where we have to, to really look at this context here, tax collectors and sinners were lost and therefore were supposed to be discarded. I want you to think about that. Because when something is lost, Jesus is saying, go after it. But the Pharisees are approaching it going, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and he even eats with them. That's not supposed to happen because they're supposed to be outside. They're not supposed to have anything to do with them. So the loss is supposed to be discarded. Do you see this? And this is the striking example that Jesus is trying to, to put out. So Jesus is really talking a lot here about value. Because we know that a sheep is valuable. We know that a coin is even more valuable, as the case may be, in that day and age. And so we've got this idea of value that's coming up between these two parables. And then Jesus tells one final shocking parable. And so we're going to spend most of our time today talking about this. So we're going to pick up the story again in verse 11. <clears throat> Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, 
give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, we, we need to pause there for a second. Because you have to understand that this request that this younger son made is incredibly offensive. Why? Because you only divided an estate when the father died. So in essence, this young man said to his father, you are more valuable to me dead than you are alive. That's offensive. And what's even more shocking about this whole story is the father did it. I think sometimes we gloss over that piece. That father had every right to slap his son and say, get back in line. But he doesn't. He divides the estate, sells off the assets that he needs to, and gives the younger son a share of the estate. Shocking request, shocking response. Now, you, you probably remember the rest of the story. You know that the younger son, he, he left and he went off to a faraway land and he squandered all of the funds that he'd been given and he was partying and having a good time. The term that's used here is that he squandered, which is a really interesting term. Um, in Greek, it's um, diaskorpizo. Diaskorpizo. Don't be impressed. You can look it up too. But it is the word that is used to describe throwing something into the air and letting the wind take it. <laughs> Some of you know what this is like. There are certain times of the year where you just feel like you need to open up your wallet and the wind just takes all your money away. This guy does it deliberately. In fact, it's, a, it's an agrarian term. It's one that's used in farming. And you would take wheat and you would take chaff and you would throw it into the air and the air would separate it because the chaff would be blown away with the wheat and the grain would fall to the ground. So it's that idea of throwing things up into the air. Does this make sense? This is bad. I mean, this is really bad. This is a deliberate attempt to blow everything that, that you've received. So he squanders it. There's no planning. There's no wives save, saving, savings that, that's going on. And it, it says in the text that famine came to his location. Whatever this far off land is, wherever he traveled to, famine came. And so the man, this young son, hires himself out to a pig farmer. Now, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Have you ever been around a pig farm? Man, if you're even in the remote vicinity of a pig farm, right? But here's what's shocking about it. <clears throat> if this young son was Jewish, and that's what we are presuming because Jesus is telling the story, a Jewish person would not be around pigs. Why? Because the food is considered unclean. Now, what does unclean mean? When you come in contact with something that's unclean under kosher biblical law, you are not fit for worship. You are not allowed to go into the temple because you are unclean. And there's this whole series of rituals that you have to go through in order to become clean. This is a big deal. The fact of the matter is he can't find anything else to do, so he hires himself out to a shocking employer, at least if you're Jewish. Shocking that he would go and be in a pig farm. And what's more, to make this story even worse, Jesus says 
that the, the kid notices that the pigs eat better than he does. And the land is in famine. So the idea that Jesus is putting here is that it's really bad. The set of circumstances that this young son finds himself in are horrible. If you're a Jew, it's probably one of the worst sets of conditions you can possibly think of. That's why it's so shocking. Pigs eat better than he is. This is a desperate situation, I think. And then the next thing that happens, and I really, really love this, it says, when the young son, when he came to his senses, <laughs> have you ever seen that happen? Like the light switch goes on? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And there it is, right? And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And he went to his father. <laughs> he came to his senses and he went home. Yeah. But I want you to notice the father's response. <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, and remember, he's, he's on the road, he's coming home. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And of course, the son makes his confession, I've sinned against you, and I don't deserve, so make me one of your servants. And he says, but the father said to his servants, the other people hanging around, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Oh, the dignity of a fresh set of clothes. And then shockingly, bring the fatted, fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. Pretty cool. Now, <clears throat> in light of the other stories, this is a great place to end with a feast and rejoicing. And, and there's no surprise here that we find that at this part of the story because Jesus has been talking about rejoicing and celebrations over sheep and coins and how much more valuable are human beings than two sheep and coins, right? So this is great. Unfortunately, Jesus isn't done because you know the story, right? <clears throat> meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Remember, there's two sons. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Hmm. The situation suddenly sinks, doesn't it? So the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Ooh, ouch. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, ooh, this son of yours, did you ever notice how parents do that? <laughs> this child of yours. This son of yours who has squandered your property 
with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I think he's a little cross, don't you? He's feeling a little put out. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, ouch, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And end scene. Wait, what? Hold, hold, hold on a second. What, what, what happened? What, what, what did the brother do? Did he actually come inside? What did the father do? Did he go back inside and party? Did they continue to talk longer? I mean, what is it? What, what happened? Acquiring minds want to know. And that's the whole point. See, we often get excited over the younger son, and, and rightly so, because the lost is, is found and there's rejoicing that ensues. And then in light of the other parables, a human being is so much more valuable than, than sheep or coins. And so we have to really understand the fact that there's a progression that's happening here. There's a lost sheep. There's a lost coin. There's a lost son. The lost has been found, right? That's what he says. And so there's this movement that Jesus is using. And, and he's talking to these Pharisees and he's saying, look, yes, you value sheep. Yes, you value coins. But do you value people? That's the issue here. Do you value them? These tax collectors and sinners, the ones that I'm eating with, the ones that you're muttering about, are those ones. And who's he addressing this to? Who is he addressing this to? Is it the disciples, the tax collector? No, he's answering muttering Pharisees. These parables are directed right at them, and he's hitting at the heart of the matter. He's hitting their pocketbook. What's valuable to you? What really is? Do you value these human beings? It's like Pastor James talked about in, in his message a couple weeks ago. Do you see this woman? Do you see these people? Grumbling Pharisees of the audience. Yes, the tax collectors and sinners came to hear, but, and the Pharisees are unhappy, but they're interested. And I wonder if they're just a little bit jealous. I wonder if they're just a little bit jealous that the tax collectors and sinners are actually paying attention to him and not to them. I wonder if there's a little jealousy going on. That's just me. I wonder that. But I think Jesus has been setting them up all along. The parables were for them. The teaching was for the local church pastors. It was for the, uh, for the uh, teachers of the law. Now, who in the story is grumbling? It's the older brother, right? The one who has been faithful, the one who has been there the entire time, the one who has been doing everything that he's supposed to be doing. Who's grumbling? So the analogy here is that the older brother like the Pharisees, or the Pharisees are like the older brother. There's something in here that I want you to see. The father loves both sons. Both. He goes outside to the older brother Please with him. Come on in. It's not that he's just celebrating the younger. He loves both. 
He doesn't want him, Jesus does not want the Pharisees to miss the party. That's what's happening here. You see, God reaches out to all his kids. He loves both sons, both of them, equally. Now, there's a couple of things that you might be thinking. <clears throat> First, you might be thinking, God loves me, yay, right? And you're going to go on with your life. Cool, I'm glad. God does love you, by the way, and he does reach out. And, and you might identify with somebody in that story. I don't know who it is. I'll leave that up to you. Or you might be thinking something like, well, that's interesting. I've never heard that interpretation before. I never noticed that these three things kind of went together and life goes on. Cool. Maybe you learned something. That's great. Get a little more context, a little more history. I like all that. I want to challenge you to do something today. In, in a moment, we're going to go back and we're going to take communion. And, uh, of course, we're going to do it again on Easter Sunday, but um, communion is that moment um, when we come face-to-face -face with this physical act that we do that helps us remember what Jesus did. And in the ancient church, they would call that a feast. Did you know that? That's, that's a party back there. And the question that I have for you, because all of us have stuff that we're still dealing with. Yep, even me. Especially me. I got some places in my heart that God's not done yet. I'm afraid he's probably got some places in my heart he hasn't even started yet. <laughs> And if I'm really honest, I got some places in my heart that I'm hiding from him. And so the question that I think we ought to be asking when we walk back there and we take the bread and we dip it into the juice and we eat it, is just to simply ask yourself this. Where might God be reaching out to me? Or, or, or better, better, here's a better one. Here's a better one. You don't even have to think about reaching out. You could even say, is there a part of my life that's missing the party? Is there that little piece inside of me somewhere that I'm kind of hiding because I don't want to go into the party for whatever reason because of my own righteous indignation and you know, stamping my foot and shaking my fist or whatever it happens to be. I don't know, maybe you've got something on, on your heart. But that back there is a party and you're invited to it. And so I would just ask you as you're taking that to simply ask yourself the question, is there a place in my life right now? And it doesn't have to be 500. If it's 500, that's not God talking to you. That's the enemy trying to drag you down. But maybe there's one place that you're aware of and God's kind of poking. And you know where it is. I know you do. And he's just kind of poking and prodding just a little bit. And, and, and he's saying, I don't want you to miss the party. So as you're taking that. Ask yourself that question. Oh, and by the way, here's the other thing. If you're already in the party, 
and things are going right and you're kind of in that place in life where you're just kind of fulfilled and everything's kind of cool and's going on, hey, great, pray for the rest of us because we need it. But more importantly, ask yourself as you're dipping the bread into the juice and eating it, ask yourself, hey, who can, else can I invite to the party? Because there's a lot of people out there who don't feel like they're invited to the party. Nonsense. Everybody's invited to the party. It's important. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was uh, hanging out with his disciples. And they were eating dinner together. And he, he took some bread and he broke it after he had given thanks for it. And he passed it out to his disciples and he said, take and eat this and every time you do, remember me. And they didn't understand because they didn't understand that it was a party yet. And then after the supper, he took a cup and after he'd given thanks, he passed it around to his disciples and said, take and drink and every time you do, I want you to remember me. They didn't understand because they didn't know it was a party yet. And then a short time later, Jesus is arrested and he's crucified. He, he dies a horrible death. And he didn't understand there was a party yet. But then three days later, and we get to talk about that in a couple weeks. That's called a hook. <laughs> Try to get you to come back for that one. I wonder if there's this moment You'll probably hear me say this again, but I wonder if there's this moment when the disciples are gathering around a table and they're eating bread and they're drinking wine and one of them looks at the other and goes, oh, that's what he was talking about. You know, kind of this moment where this really is a party. We have what's called an open table in the Church of God. Here at Thrive, it means if you're a follower of Jesus, this party's for you. And we invite you to be a part of it with us. It connects us not only to an ancient church because Jesus gave us this little ritual, but it also connects us to a larger party that's happening all over the world, a global kind of bash that's going on, and uh, we get to be a part of this. And so um, this is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and uh, uh, then I would just suggest then go ahead and stay in your, in your seat. Um, nobody's going to look at you funny, I promise. If you're still checking out the Jesus thing, that's cool. Um, but if you are part of um, the family, uh, we call it, and please come. This is for you. We want you to be a part of that. And I want you to do it in a way that's meaningful for you. So the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to sing. Um, and when you're ready, you can walk back there, and there's two sides. Uh, you can pick one side or the other. And um, there's a gluten-free option for those of you who need that. And you take a little piece of the bread, you, you rip it off, you dip it into the juice, and then you can take it. You can bring it back to your seat. You can do it right there. It's entirely up to you. This is your party with you and Jesus. Do what's meaningful for you. That's what we want. <laughs>